in chapter 16 and verse number 13. Let's read this aloud. I'm going to read it aloud for you. You follow along if you would. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the, that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we ask you that you would add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God together this morning. We ask you, Father, that you would give us clarity of thought as we uh, walk through this this morning together. Lord, I pray, Father, that you give us what we stand in need of that only comes from you. Holy Spirit of God, I help you help me this morning to slow my thoughts and to articulate my heart this morning uh, and from the text of Scripture to give the people what they need. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. I find that when I'm having a conversation with someone that if the terms aren't defined well, we pass each other in conversation. Uh, terms have to be defined. Um, if um, you miss that, you're going to miss a lot. Uh, several years ago, we went to Ireland, and we were on a mission trip there in Ireland, and our current missionaries, Josh and Denise Stewart, um, they had invited us over to do a family and uh, family conference at their church, and we got to go over there and teach, and it was a lot of fun because we, we got to hang out with some dear friends and see some beautiful country and then got to preach and teach uh, to the families there. And I taught for about an hour, an hour plus uh, on marriage and the home and got done teaching, and I said, does anybody have any questions? And <clears throat> a hand shot up right away, and I thought, well, this is great. Somebody has a deep theological question, and they want to really dig into what we've talked about. And uh, the lady raised her hand, and during the talk, I had used the term youngins. How many of you know what a youngin is? All right. Um, I had talked about youngins the whole time, and she raised her hand. She goes, what are youngins? (laughs) And I'm like, well, I don't know how to explain that necessarily, even where it came from, but youngins is children in South, because I don't know if we even use that up here as much. But when I was growing up in Georgia, everybody, all the kids were youngins. Them youngins outside making a mess. Them youngins are causing trouble. And so I was using this vernacular and missing them completely. Uh, we went to dinner a few days later. And Susie and I and uh, Josh and Denise were at one end of the table and our children and another group of uh, teens were down at the other end. And they were all trying to figure out where to sit and messing around. And, and Susie just looked at them and said, hey guys, stop shifting around. And when she said that, the teenagers from Ireland just sat down and turned bright red, just like bright red. And they kind of dropped their head like, oh, my goodness, you know. And Susie turned to Denise and was like, what did I say? You know, they're, they're obviously embarrassed. What did I say? And she just laughed at her and she goes, oh, shifting here means making out. So <clears throat> terms matter. Terms matter. You have to be on the same page. Um, And what we don't want to do is miss being on the same page. And as a church family, I've committed over the last several years and for many years in my pastoral ministry now 
to the faithful exposition of Scripture. And my favorite way of addressing that is to pick a book of the Bible and to go through a book of the Bible. Um, to go verse by verse, section by section, and unpack the themes of that book of Scripture. However, I don't think it is wrong to pick a passage of Scripture and give you a truth from it and to move to another. And this morning I intend to look at several passages of Scripture and give us uh, some instruction from them this morning and have a kind of a pastoral talk with you. You know, our time here um, in ministry will celebrate 20 years. Uh, I was ordained 20 years ago this year for gospel ministry. And uh, we'll, we've been in full-time uh, Christian service in 20, 20 years as of uh, summer of next year. So 19 years of full-time ministry. And um, God's been so gracious to us. Uh, we, my wife and I met in college. <clears throat> and we were married for about a year and seven months. And Allie came along and just brand new married. And now we got a baby. Three months later, we took off and went to Pittsburgh to Jeanette, Pennsylvania, and just outside of Pittsburgh, and we became youth pastor at Heritage Baptist Church in Jeanette, Pennsylvania. Um, we worked in this Christian school uh, that they had there, or that we started there, and went through a building program while we were there, and it was just a fast-paced time, and it's almost, looking back at it, it's kind of a blur to look at all that went on in the, that three years, and of course, God gave us TJ while we were there, and um, then when he, uh, when he was about three months old, God moved us out of there, and we, we just kind of stepped out by faith. We didn't know where God was going to lead us, where he was going to take us. But by his grace and providence, he settled us in a little church in southern Ohio with a handful of people, and uh, we began to labor at Liberty Baptist Church. And um, we labored there for all told about 13 years and uh, worked with that church and that family of people and just... God's grace to bring us through so many things uh, while the time we were there. And I, I've said this, and I continue to testify to this. Even in the last years we've been here, the whole of my ministry, I have learned more than I've taught. Um, and as we begin to teach the Word of God, it is a privilege of my life to open the Word of God and teach it. But God teaches me more every year than I learn. He's constantly showing me, and, and sometimes I get a little impatient with that. I'm like, I thought I learned that 10 years ago, and he reminds me again, no, you didn't learn it well. You just had like the, that was the 101, this is 102, and um, so we're taking you through another, a graduate class of that one now, and it seems like you're constantly learning more than you ever could teach. As God begins to work in my heart, expose uh, the pride, the misalignment of things that I had in ministry, I had things that weren't what I thought they were. I, I had things in the backward way of looking at them, and God began to expose those things to me. And then I think of our journey here in the past three and a half years. It's hard to believe that in January we'll celebrate four years together since we moved here. And yet, it seems like a lot longer than four years. And with some of you, it seems like a lot longer than four years. No, I'm teasing. And so, but no, it seems like a lot longer than four years. Um, I feel like God has been so good to knit our hearts together in friendships that should take a lot longer, amen? But God has connected us, and I'm, I'm just looking around the room, and I, I see you, my brother, over there, and I thank God for the way God has connected our hearts together and knit hearts in this four-year time. And it's a joy to call you friends, and it's a joy to be able to pastor you and labor with you in the work that God's called us to do here. You know, when I look at it, though, we, we came in that first year, and Pastor Casey did such a good job of leading us to that point of transition, and 
And I remember sitting here on the stage that Sunday morning and the men prayed over us and then we went into that first year of pastoral ministry and I felt like my whole first year as executive pastor, my primary role was to shake hands and eat lunch. And um, I spent a lot of time visiting homes, we spent a lot of time greeting people and trying to learn names and you were so welcoming to us. Um, Within that first year of pastoral ministry, uh, it was kind of my plan to keep my head down, keep my mouth closed, preach Jesus, and just let's get through this first year as the senior pastor. And I began to talk with the deacons about things that we thought we needed to do. We probably need to go to two services. The building's full. What are we going to do? How are we going to get more? Can we build a building? We were asking these questions. And the deacons and I were discussing this all through 19. And uh, then we came into 2020. And... I remember thinking the first year, here's my plan for the first year. And it was literally build relationships, get to know each other, and plan for the future. And then in chapter 2020, when January came around, I'm like, here's the plans. Here's what I want to see happen by the end of the year. This is what I want to see happen by the end of the year. And I had this list of dreams and plans, and none of that happened the, the way I thought it was going to happen. And I remember saying sometime around January, I said, guys, we need a plan in place to go to two services by the fall of this year. And I, and I said, we're not going to launch it in the fall. We just need a plan by the fall. And um, which, unbeknownst to us, COVID came in and everything changed. And we, we were preaching to empty buildings for almost 12, three months. And somebody asked me, he said, was preaching to an empty church hard to do? I'm like, no. The first five years of ministry was practice for that. Because nobody came and heard me preach for five years, at least. My poor wife, she would sit down front and all, other, all the other 12 or 14 people that came would sit in the very back left, as far away from me as they could possibly get. I never understood why that was the case. And then when I threw those pews out, I didn't know why they were mad at me either, but they did get mad at me. <laughs> That's another story for another time. But the, those, those years of ministry, uh, God has been good to us. But during this past, that year during COVID, the deacons and I, and man, I want to thank God for our deacons. I thank God for the men who labored on the board during that time and are laboring now, um, who are serving. And you don't see the hours they spend at night after they've worked all day to come in and sit down and to pray over what we ought to be doing. And right now, they're systematically praying through uh, the membership of our church every time we meet. And we're praying for you and asking God to hold you up and, and to minister to you. And that's what these men are doing. And thank God for our pastoral team and the hours we spent talking about it. And even our wives we would get together and have dinner and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? How do you think it will be perceived if we roll out two services or go to 50 people or have 100 people? And it was just all the questions of the unknown. And uh, I read a blog a few weeks ago, and it was mentioned in the blog that the churches that came through the COVID season well were the churches that were able to pivot quickly and were able to handle the, the quick changes that had to happen. And I feel like we did that well, I think, and it's to, your, it's to be commended to our whole church family, the way you went with it and you, you, you followed and you were just willing to jump in and let's get it done. Not to say that we're always in agreement on everything, and no church is going to be 100% agreement on everything, uh, but we were gracious and I think we handled our problems like Christians should, and I commend you for that. I commend the men for it, but as we came through it, I feel like that so much time has gone by. It seems like we've been here for much longer than four years. But as we come to it, I, I begin to have conversations even recently in seeing how God has provided for the church. We've come through COVID and the numbers are strong. God's blessed there. 
and we see uh, guests coming and visiting our church, and we're honored to have our guests when they come and visit us. Um, we see that happening. God is blessed financially, and we're financially sound. God is blessed in that area. Not only that, but we are making an impact financially around the world. You remember back in March, we gave, uh, we asked you to set a goal of giving twenty thousand dollars to uh, the projects that our four missionaries we were supporting. Um, we wanted to send that money to them and bless them. And we raised much more than that. We were able to send about four thousand dollars to two of those missionaries to fully fund a project they were working on, and another $10,000 to the McPhail Fossies and to the Holtz, because they were building on a very large project. He was working on a Bible Institute, if you remember. They were trying to get some housing for the students. And then the other one, they were trying to get a printing press. McPhail Fossies were getting a printing press together. We were able to send that money to them and bless them. And then we said, and Brother Andy Dean is leading, pray for him, he's, he's under the weather this morning, but um, <clears throat> Brother Andy Dean, he... Um, He's leading our missions team and encouraging us on that. And one of the things the team came together and said, should we be holding on to excess funds when our missionaries are doing a work? And so we said, all right, let's set a bottom line of what we need to have to support our missionaries. But if we have a surplus, let's send it to our missionaries. And I'm like, man, what a great idea. Uh, let's get it into the work. And so uh, you have given over the last several months, and we were able to distribute just this last week $36,000 in surplus mission money to our missionaries. That deserves an amen right there. And that's what God's done through you. Um, and we were able to call up, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what's fun is making those phone calls. That's fun. I was able to call Brother McPhail Falsey and tell him, hey, we're going to be able to send. How, I, and it was funny because I asked him and Jason. I said, how much do you guys have left on your project? And uh, McPhail Falsey said, about $9,000. And Jason said, about $9,500. And I'm like, okay, good. We're going to send you a check Monday for $10,000. And their projects are funded. So McPhail Falsey's have the printing press ordered. And it's being shipped to them right now, and in very short order, they'll be able to get that up and running and have a printing press to print gospel literature for their Bible institutes, training men and ladies for gospel ministry. And what a rejoicing that is. And that's what God's done in this last year uh, through our missions giving and through our laboring together. You know, and if we would move forward, and it is my heart to move forward as a church, then we have to clarify our terms and make sure we're on the same page. In counseling, evangelism, teaching, if you assume you understand, you miss, you're going to miss the people. And if I assume you understand me, we'll miss one another. In our conversations with the deacons and the pastors and our people over the last several weeks, and the staff and I, we went off-site for several hours a couple of weeks back, and we just sat and were prayerfully considering, where are we at? Where are we going? What is God doing? And our deacon board this last week, we asked the question, why do we exist? What are we doing? What's our heart behind this? We begin to walk through all of these things. And I, I, I came up with an understanding that there's probably five areas at least that need some clarifying. And these are things that God has worked in my heart about to clarify that I didn't have right at the beginning of ministry. And I feel like it's something that if we can be on the same page with these five things, it'll help us at least as we're having discussions to be able to define our terms and to walk forward as a church together. And so I'm just simply going to walk through these five things. We'll look at some scripture together, and then we'll go to lunch, all right? So let's do these five things together this morning. First off, and you probably got a handout if you came in. If you didn't, I would encourage you to write it down and keep this to where you can track with me in the weeks ahead. First off... The church is the people 
not the organization or the building. The church is the people, not an organization or a building. And, and I say that when we come to the word church, even in our text that we read a little while ago, he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word church is the word ekklesia. That's the Greek word behind it. And what we find in that word is literally it was the common word for any kind of gathering in that time. And so there would be an ecclesia down at the, the school board had an ecclesia. And the, 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 uh, the, the homeowners association had an ecclesia, an assembly. And other places had an assembly. The word church was not referring to a building and it was not referring to uh, an organization. It was referring to a group of people that had gathered. You know, and, and by the way, I, I make the mistake of using this term interchangeably way too much. And I'm not really here to fight us, stop calling this building the church. That's not really what I am. But I do want to get it rooted in our heart that this building is not the church. That if this building is gone tomorrow and there's nothing left standing and everything that we associate with Shelby Bible Church is gone, but the people are still gathering, then Shelby Bible Church keeps marching forward. Because the church is always a people, not a building or a program. This, this, this distinguishing mark of our assembly, because all of these other assemblies were gathering in the New Testament, and all in that culture there was assemblies everywhere for law assemblies and for teaching assemblies. The thing that distinguished them are why they gathered and in whose name they gathered. And that's what sets us apart, is why we gather. We gather for the edifying of the body of Christ. We gather to build one another up, as Pastor Caleb taught us last week. And this morning, we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we gather. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And we know that we gather in his name, and in his name we're here to lift it up. We want everything that happens in the church for Christ to have the preeminence. Now, I think the translation of the word uh, church is the thing that often gets in our way, but we see the metaphors in Scripture, don't we? The metaphors in Scripture are clear. It's family, it's body, it's temple, it's the flock, it's a nation. He's talking about a group of people. Tyndale, when he translated his first English translation, he translated ecclesia, congregation, and then Luther, when he translated his German Bible, he took the same word and translated the same word for community in German. And so we see community, congregation, people. It's the gathering of people who are believers and gather together for the cause of Christ. It's not a building or an organization. Now we can be thankful this morning that we are a part of a great gathering. That there is a big C church. There are people all over the world this morning that are gathering in places where they are preaching the gospel. They are magnifying Jesus Christ. And we're a part of that gathering as they go all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here in this local assembly, and that's what we would call ourselves, a local assembly, the church is the people of God. Not the program and not the organization, not the building. Let me say this next. When we gather as a church... When we gather as a local assembly, this is number two, the gathering is for the saved first and for the unbeliever second. Now this is something that I had to work through in my mind. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named Billy Graham? Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he was rather popular at one time in American history. Um, and how many of you ever had an evangelist come and visit your church when you were growing up? How many of you ever went through a week-long revival? All right, I'm going to start thinning the crowd. Anybody here ever been to a tent meeting? Oh, more than I thought would be a tent meetings. All right. 
So we used to do these revivals, and we would have a, a big evangelist come in, and we put up a tent in the backyard, and, and man, it was a fun time because, it, man, it was just, the tent was exciting. And I wanted to spend the night in the tent the whole time it was there, you know. But it was just so amazing. You had this big tent, and these evangelists came in, and they preached and sweated and hollered and spit and screamed and ran up and down the stage. And if you've never seen a southern evangelist, you're missing out on a show, man. Uh, I mean, it's, it's something to watch. And they would just go at it. And, and when we knew the evangelist is coming, get your friends and your family that are unsaved and bring them to the church house and let them hear the gospel preached. Now, let me make something very clear. I'm not against that. I'm 100% for getting people to hear the gospel preached. Uh, but let me say this. The gathering of the church has often been misunderstood that the gathering on Sunday morning is primarily about evangelism. And let me say that's not the case. The gathering on Sunday morning is primarily about edifying the believers, of building up God's people to go and do the work of ministry. Now, we're very clear that there was an intention that outsiders would come into the church. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 24, he said, hey, if outsiders or unbelievers come in, and, and let me sum it up a little bit here, he said, make sure you're doing things decently and in order so they don't think you're crazy. He said, don't do it in a way that would make them think they lose their, that you've lost your mind. He said, do it in a decent and orderly manner as they come in. And he said, and let them hear the fact that God is in you and you're glorifying God because of the work being done in you. And he said, and they maybe will turn to Christ. He said, at least they'll know you believe it. And the whole point of this is that, yes, we want to set it up in a way where unsaved people can come in and hear the gospel preached, but primarily and first, the church is about the gathering of God's people to be edified. Pastor Caleb unpacked it for us last week. We assemble together. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. He said, but provoke one another to love and good works. And do this so much more as you see the day approaching. As the day of Christ draws near, we are gathering to edify one another. We're scattering to, to evangelize the lost. And by the way, we're gathering, let me, let me say this to you this morning, we're gathering to edify the church, not pacify the church. We're not here to figure out what makes you happy and do that. You're like, oh, pastor, that seems kind of mean. I'm not trying to be mean. But I'm saying this, we need the spirit of being able to confront one another and encourage one another and challenge one another. Because if we're not willing to do that, there is no edifying, there is no building up. And we gather that we might edify the church and do the work of the ministry. So let me say this, we're not trying to make the church appealing to carnal minds. Now, there's two extremes, and I think there is, there is a heart for Christ probably in the extremes that the church has run to. And we've all been a part of a church, and this is, not my, this is not my diatribe against churches that do things differently. I just want you to see the extremes. we got a church that seems to be focused on entertainment. It seems to be that the music is about drawing people in. It seems to be it's about putting on a show, and we've got all of the excitement of a concert. And I don't mind a concert. But then we have on the other extreme of it, and I've done this for you before, we have churches that we are so traditional. I mean, I grew up Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. How many of you grew up like that? And how many of you knew you were not a good Christian if you didn't come to all of them? Yeah. All right. You had to be at all of them. Now, we were, I mean, I, somebody said they were, uh, that I, I've, I've been told before, I was, I was raised on drugs. I was drugged to church Sunday morning. I was drugged to church Sunday night. I was drugged to church Wednesday night. Um, 
we just went no matter what. If the door was open, we went. If somebody was cleaning the building, we went. Um, it just We just went to church. And I don't think there's anything wrong with just going to church. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to gather with God's people, and I thank God for that. But over here, we had this very traditional view of the church, and we were like, no, you got to do it this way, and if you don't do it this way, I'm not exactly sure what will happen, but something bad will happen. And we were scared to death to let go of it, and I think fundamentally, it's because both sides of this missed it. And so this side over here is like, no, we can't do that. That's not good. Why? I don't know, but it's not good. And this side over here, like, man, you guys are stuck in the past. You need to wake up and realize, you know, we have electric lights now. It's okay. And there was a sense in which they were criticizing back. We're criticizing over here. And I think both missed the point. Is that the point being is God has given us great freedom. There's no place in Scripture that tells us we have to meet on Wednesday night for Bible study, okay? It's just not in there. Um, As a matter of fact, there's no place in Scripture that tells you what time you meet on the Lord's Day. We don't find that in Scripture. And so there's a lot of latitude with what a church could and couldn't do in the, in the past. And so we sometimes need to let go of these things. But the point being is that we're not trying to just hold on to what was, and we're not trying to entertain the lost into our midst. Because here's the thing. The church is designed for those who are saved that they would be edified to go to the lost. And what we make sure we do is we have things ordered in a way that we're not just trying to attractional everybody to who we are. Here's the thing, if you can come to this church, and by the way, I'm not trying to make lost people feel comfortable in our church. You say, what, pastor? You don't want them to feel comfortable? No, I want them to feel welcome, loved, but I don't want them to be comfortable. And by the way, if you can sit here for six months and be comfortable yourself, you need to find a preacher that preaches the Bible. If nothing that is said from this pulpit over six months doesn't rankle you at some point, then we're not preaching scripture, because I got news for you, I never go through a week of study where it doesn't bother me. Every time I open the book and I begin to study, it stirs me and convicts me and shows me what a lousy Christian I've been. But God is so gracious to continue to use us. So there ought to be a stirring and a provoking from the word of God. So we are not trying to make the church appealing to carnal minds. We are not here to make the church appealing to the members. We're not here to appease Members, we're here to make disciples, to encourage people to grow and to be edified. We're here to worship God and please him. And if we please him and him alone, then we've had a good day. I remember years ago, one person looked at me and said, here's what you preach for. You preach for the audience of one. There's only one person that I need to be concerned of whether or not I have done what he called me to do that day, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I have done that work and nobody likes it, then it's been a successful day. If I have failed at that work and everybody's pleased with it, I have failed miserably. And I've betrayed you and I've betrayed my calling. You see, we have a mission to do. The church is here gathering together for the saved to be edified to go. And that's why we're not trying to make this church appealing to this world. We're not trying to make it repulsive to the world. We're simply trying to please the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me say next, and by the way, you say, well, pastor, how in the world am I going to get somebody saved? I mean, if, if the church is about getting people to the, the church, if the gathering of the church is about edifying believers, what are we supposed to do with our unsaved neighbors? And that's where it comes into the next thing. Let me give you number three. The pastors are equippers, not the sole doers of ministry. 
They are here to equip you for the work of the ministry. Now, let me make something very clear to you this morning. If you have a neighbor or a friend or a loved one that you want to get the gospel to and you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do it, but I really want them to hear the gospel and they're willing to talk, man, you set up the time, I'll be there. Let's go talk to them about Jesus. I'm happy to do it. Or we'll get somebody who can meet you and do that. But we'll go and preach the gospel. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to just give you a fish all the time. I want to teach you how to fish. I want to teach you how to take the word of God and proclaim Jesus to a lost world and and give you the theology behind it so you understand what you're saying when you preach Jesus. And that's what the growth groups are about. That's what Wednesday night's about. That's what Sunday morning, week in, week in, week out is about, is about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. By the way, that's what one-on-one discipleship is about. And as I look around the room and I thank God for the opportunities to sit with different men in our church and be able to open the Bible together and answer questions from the word of God. But here's the thing, um, we, we have a role of equipping people for the work of the ministry, not just the doers of the work of the ministry. So, Pastor, this sounds a little bit like you're just trying to get out of work. <laughs> well, besides that point, let me give you the biblical point, all right? Go to Ephesians chapter number 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 11, 12, and 13, and here's where we get this from, and this is what kind of awoken in me the responsibility that a pastor has of equipping people for ministry. This is the talking about Jesus' resurrection gifts to the church. Verse 11, he said he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Man, I love that term, shepherd. The pastors and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we could read this text, and we could say, okay, that God has given pastors, teachers, and that's the final thing he gave to the church. That's the role I hold, pastor, teacher, shepherd, teacher. And we could say, okay, he's given a pastor, teacher to the church for equipping the saints. He's given the pastor, teacher for the church for the work of the ministry. He's given the pastor, teacher to the church for the edifying of the body. And now we've taken all three of those things, and we've made them the job description of one person in the church. And when we do that, we handicap the church from going forward. But I believe the way this should be read and the way the the, the grammar actually lines up best for it here is he's giving pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry so that the body is edified. And as the saints do the work of the ministry, the body is built up. And you look around you this morning, you say, who is the church? The church is you. Who does the edifying? You do the edifying. Who is doing the work of the ministry? You do the work of the ministry. We don't have one minister at Shelby Bible Church or three ministers or four ministers, but we have 300 ministers that are supposed to be doing the work of ministry, that are being equipped to do the work of the ministry, to look around and find that work. You know, if you find a coach of a ball team and he's the best player on the team, he's a pretty poor coach. Generally speaking, the coach is not the best player on the team. Generally speaking, he's a little more overweight than the rest of the guys. He's not near as fast as the rest of the people on the team. You know, he, he has his glory days back in the day, but, you know, he's not near as good as that 17, 18-year-old kid out there running around right now. Why? Because he's coaching a team. He's equipping the team to do the work. Now, that is not to say that pastors don't minister, because here's the other distinction, and we're not putting this in the notes, but here's the distinction. The pastor is a part of the church, not separate from the church. 
He's a part of the work that is going on. And so just as you should be doing the work of the ministry, I should be doing the work of the ministry. But make something clear, uh, it's not the pastor's role to do all the work of the ministry. It's the pastor's role to equip people to do the work of the ministry. So I, I challenge us on this this morning. That as we equip one, and by the way, the staff is an extension, uh, and our, we're blessed to have a great team uh, of staff people that, that labor to support what is going on here. Man, I thank God for them. By the way, as a pause, pray for Miss Melissa Blanco. Uh, Miss Melissa Blanco was in a car accident Saturday a week ago, and um, we thought she just bruised up a little bit, but now she's got some other complications. She's going to be off uh, work for an entire month. And so if you would just pray for her, uh, that she would recover quickly. But I think of our staff that comes around to do the work. Let me make something. They're here to help you equip for the work of the ministry, not do the work of the ministry for you. And that's important to remember, that it's an equipping role, not a doing role only. So pastors are equippers, not the sole doers of ministry. Number four. This is one that is so important, and I came up against this one just this week as I was talking with our staff and with our deacons, and we were having a conversation about it this week, and it came clear that I was using a term that not everybody understood the same. And here's the term, discipleship is evangelism and equipping. Discipleship is evangelism and equipping. The idea that some people would have in their mind, and I think could be left in our mind, and was in mine for a long time, is that discipleship was something separate from evangelism. You've got to go preach the gospel to people, get them saved, and then you disciple them. No, the call of the church is to make disciples. It's all one thing. It's not two separate things. And, and I, I, I say this because I say it out of a place of pain in my own heart, of missing the point of what God had called me to do. And, and I came from a, a very sincere place in my heart, but I wanted to see people get saved. I mean, how many of you have ever been there when somebody accepted Christ as, your, as their Savior? You've seen that happen? It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to see their eyes open and they're like, I get it. And you're like, how did that happen? I don't know how it happened. It's a miracle that somehow or another somebody could be transferred from darkness to light in a moment. And it's an amazing thing. And I've been there and seen that happen. And man, that's something that stirred in me. And as a teenager, uh, we would have big pushes for evangelism. And literally in years, I would have 100, 120 people on cards filled out where they prayed and accepted Jesus as their Savior. And they made a profession of faith. And I would like, man, this is awesome. But then I'd go back to check on those people and they didn't know who I was. They didn't remember me. They didn't want to talk to me. I came into pastoral ministry, and I would get into pastoral ministry, and I did the same thing. And I, I was struggling because uh, we were just a struggling church. We had just a handful of people there. And I thought, man, if we're going to eat, i got to get some people to come to church because, you know, you can't pay the pastor of a church to have your people coming. And um, i got to get to work. And so I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I, the spring months, every spring for several years in a row, I set it a goal. I'm going to knock 1,000 doors a month. Now, you may think, oh, a thousand doors, that's no big deal. You try it sometime. I'm sorry, I said a month. Yeah, it is a month, a month. 250 doors a week is what I was shooting for. And I was shooting a thousand doors a month, going out, trying to knock on these doors. And I loved apartment complexes, by the way, because the doors are really close together. Uh, and um, I, would, I would try to find them. And I, I would go out and knock these doors. And in all that time, I would, I would meet people, and they would make a profession of faith maybe on the doorstep. And then I would try to follow up with them, and I'd try to invite them to church, and I was getting nothing. I'd show up, and they'd, they'd peek out the window. I'd see them look out the window, then they'd close the window and wouldn't answer the door. And I'm like, what's wrong? What am I missing here? 
And then I said, you know what we need to do? We need to just have relationship and develop relationship with men. And I, I began to take uh, men, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't meet with a woman by myself for obvious reasons, but I would meet with men. And I would sit down with him over a cup of coffee, and I, I met a man uh, at the coffee shop and invited him to sit down and do Bible study, and we started talking. I met a man at work, had him sit down, and we started talking. Met a man over here at the gym, and we'd start talking. Then people would come and visit the church, and the first thing I would say to that person is, hey, you want to get some coffee later this week? And let's sit down, and then we developed relationships and begin to take people through just the basic fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. And I would see these people coming to faith in Christ and being rooted in the Scripture, being rooted in the life of the church and God began to bless that work and man I saw understood that it is through relationships that you build the opportunity to preach the gospel to people man I'm all for meeting a stranger and preaching the gospel to them I've, I've stopped strangers and I'll do it this week where I stop them and just give them an invitation to church or ask them about something and maybe start up a conversation but let me say this I promise you this this morning we know in this room enough lost people in our circle that we could preach the gospel to them until the trumpet sounds and we'd never run out of lost people problem is often we're not willing to burn those relationships or to be bold in those relationships and I challenge us that we would be uh, mindful of what God's called us to do. That we not separate discipleship from evangelism, but we see that evangelism and discipleship are all the same thing. And, and here in Mar Mar uh, Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to jump there real quick. Matthew 28, he lays this out for us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And here the word here is make disciples. And the King James it simply says and teach and I like the ESV much better in this translation because it literally has the idea of make students of all nations, to make them disciples, to bring them along, teaching them all things I've taught you. The subject in this tense here, this, this Greek word, it's an active tense imperative. And the active literally means that the subject is the one that is to do the action. So what is he saying? You go and do the work. You go and make disciples of all nations. And then what is the, the, the imperative here? It is a command by order and authority of the one who commanded it. So by order and authority of Jesus Christ, you and I have a command to go and make disciples of all nations. To go and bring them in. You say, well, pastor, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? I thought somebody got, became a Christian and then they became a disciple. Well, real quickly, look at Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 26 Verse number 26, and when he had found them, he brought him to Antioch. For the whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. And the Christians were called disciples. Oh, I read that backward. And the disciples were called Christians. See, it was disciples who then got called Christ-like, little Christs. You see, they were disciples before they were Christians. It's not somebody believes the gospel and then they become a, a Christian or they, they, then we disciple them. No, it is disciples, people who are following Christ, unpacking the gospel. So what defines a disciple? Here's a disciple, someone who believes Jesus, someone who is seeking to order their life to honor Jesus, and someone who is seeking to tell other people about Jesus. And if you sum it up in those three things, that's what we're pushing to do. We're not looking just to get somebody to pray a prayer or to confess Christ and then leave them. We're looking to walk in relationship with them until they too are wanting to tell other people about Jesus. They are seeking to make disciples themselves. Discipleship by its nature is reproductive. 
The gospel does this work in us. And so as we look at what discipleship is, let's not confuse the terms. When I say discipleship, when I ask, hey, I want people to come and make disciples, somebody even asked me a few years ago, Pastor, here you talk a lot about making disciples. When are we going to talk about winning people to Jesus? And I was kind of like, I thought you knew that was the same thing. That's the same thing. It's just not the end of the journey. We win somebody to Jesus. We teach them how to bring their life in order with Christ. And we teach them to go and to bring other people to Jesus. It's the whole package that we're called to do. So then finally, the ministry is a who, not a what. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll put the words up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. And I love this text of scripture. It's one that just resonates in my soul when I think about ministry. He said, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal possession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Don't you love the beauty of those words? He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. How does he do it? You smell like Jesus and you smell like Jesus and you smell like Jesus and you go everywhere and people smell Jesus. As we spread, the aroma of Christ begins to spread through our workplace and through our homes and through our schools, and the gospel is spread everywhere. And he said, who are we ministering to? And he said, verse number 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? We are not sufficient for these things. But you and I, as we go with the gospel, it is always a who that we're going to. We're going to people. And we're, we're, the fragrance of Jesus Christ ought to be encouraging to the saved and convicting to the lost. And as we go, we go with the gospel. And here's what he says in chapter 3 uh, of this next text, verse number 2. He said, you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be read and known of all men. What is he driving at? You are the ministry. Paul saw people as the focus of his ministry, not what. Often people will say, well, pastor, what can I do? Where can I minister? And I'm 100% for filling you into a role that you can minister in here. But let me say this. You don't need to wait for somebody to give you a title to start ministering. Amen. You say, well, pastor, where am I going to minister? All you need to do is look around this room and find somebody you don't recognize. Find somebody you don't know their name, and ministry can start the moment you say, hey, my name's Mike, what's your name? And you become an aroma for Christ to the saved in that moment. Or if that person doesn't know Christ, you become an aroma of Christ unto the unsaved. And you can start doing ministry with the person sitting next to you today. And some of you wives need to minister to your husband, amen? You, some of your husbands need a lot of ministry, amen? But the fact is, the reality, you can minister right now. Ministry is not something you wait to do. And you say, well, Pastor, what are we going to do? And, and let me make something very clear. I'm 100% for evangelistic campaigns. I, I'm for getting out the door. Man, if we, if we wanted to put a concert on someday and draw people in and bring them to the gospel, fine. We'll do, I, 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 for every rock painted with John 3.16 on it that you can paint and draw people to Jesus. That's all fine. He said, well, Pastor, what is going to be the outreach program of Shelby Bible Church over the next 20 or 30 years? And if God give me grace, then I'll be an old pastor in 30 years. 
But if God give me grace to preach for another 25 or 30 years, then the primary outreach program of Shelby Bible Church, and you may want to write this down, is you. You are the outreach program. See, here's the thing. If you believe Jesus, and I believe Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we have the Word of God in our hand, we don't need a program. We just need to meet a person. And when you meet a person, you start talking to that person about Jesus and that person about Jesus, and you just be shocked at what happens. You say, well, Pastor, when does it bear fruit? Well, that's up to him. That's not up to us. I don't know how many years went by before you called your friend, but I'm sure it wasn't just a couple of weeks. You saw him reading the Bible, and you're like, I knew he read the Bible, so I'm like, hey, can I go to that church where they read the Bible? You don't know when that door's going to open, but we're an aroma of Christ for the saved and the unsaved. So I'm going to read them through one more time, and we're going to go home. I said, number one, the church is the people, not the organization or the building. The gathering is for the saved first, not the lost. The pastors are equippers not the sole doers of ministry. Discipleship is evangelism and equipping. And the ministry is a who, not a what. Let's go this week and find a who. Amen? My neighbor comes at the 9 o'clock service. Her name is Jan. I didn't embarrass her in the 9 o'clock, but she thanked me for that. But I told her I was going to tell this story. Susie met her and invited her to church, and she's been coming now for several months, and she sits back there. And the group of people that sit on that back row with her have become friends to her and have ministered to her. And she, a couple weeks ago, one of them had a birthday, and they invited her to the house to celebrate the birthday. And then some other folks that were sitting back there, they all went together and had lunch and celebrated her birthday together. And Jan gets back to the house, and she's texting Susie about it, saying, you're not going to believe what just happened. These people at church just invited me over and are blessing me. And then, and then she gets home, looks across the yard, sees our neighbor working on cutting a tree down. And they don't have the proper tools to do it. So she gets her tool out of the shop and starts to take it across the street to our neighbor. When she gets there, she found out we'd already loaned him a tool. And then she's, and I didn't tell him I was a preacher. I was really bad about that. I didn't witness at all. She just told on me. And... Uh, so generally when people find out I'm a preacher, they go, and they don't talk anymore. But that's why when I golf, I wait at least to the fourth hole before I tell anybody who I am. So, and that way they feel guilty the rest of the time we're golfing too. Gives me a little competitive edge. Um, but, <laughs> so, but, but she went over and talked to him, and she was just talking about what a blessing the church was organically loving on her. She was overflowing with it, went over and talked to her neighbor and said, man, you need to come to church. I want to tell you about what's going on. And there was just a heart of overflowing from the ministry of God's people to somebody within the church. That's what we want to see happen. Ministry is a who, not a what. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for the time to talk to your people. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that what's been said today would be edifying to your people. Lord, be provoking to our hearts and challenging for the work that we have ahead of us. Father, I pray that the people in this room, as you would just knit our hearts together to go forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world this week, Lord, help us to recognize the opportunities and to seize the opportunities to make friends, to influence them with the gospel, and to magnify Jesus Christ. Lord, that's our heart. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Let's stand to our feet and we'll sing together.